0: Forty five dollars upfront for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com/trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey guys, I hope you're all enjoying season 4 so far. If you like the show, you should consider supporting it on Patreon at patreon.com/woe_bagan. There is a monthly Q&A going up at the end of the month for $2 patrons, so now would be a good time to ask me anything. Not to mention episode instrumentals, soundtrack albums, a Diary of Eliza Schultz spin-off podcast, director's commentary, and more. Thanks to my 10 newest patrons, Morgan Jackson, Arena, Isabel Wilson, Rowan, Shy Ruff, Marn S., Jazz Valen, Gray, Rick Platinum, and Monica Quirk for supporting the show. Enjoy. Warning, this episode contains violent themes. Listener discretion is advised. The first challenge went off without a hitch. The first challenge always goes off without a hitch. That's the point of the first challenge. It is designed to hook you in. The only difference this time was that we were introducing deception into the equation in order to manipulate the game. I was nervous about this. It introduced an element of unpredictability into a situation that I was otherwise able to predict fairly well. The Flinchites wouldn't elaborate on what they meant when they said that they were going to use technology to disguise my voice as Donnie Evans. I didn't get to hear what that sounded like. To me, it sounded like Mike Walters leaving a message on Cannonball's voicemail. Had Ryan regained and maintained control of Wobegon since the moment that I handed it back over to him, he would have instantly recognized my voice. That didn't happen. Whatever they did to disguise me as Cannonball's brother had worked. I completed the first challenge. I was Donnie Evans, for all intents and purposes, for the length of this game of Wobegon, however long that might be. I was playing Wobegon again. It was 5 hours and 58 minutes between the time that I finished the phone call and the time that the Flinchites were able to confirm that the first challenge prize had been delivered. Normally, this happens overnight. The phone call is made in the middle of the night, the player goes to sleep, and they wake up into their new reality. The new reality with a living Cannonball in it was confirmed by observing the existence of documents that were proof of Cannonball's death, namely an obituary in the paper and a publicly available death certificate. Cannonball had officially never died. I was quite relieved to hear that. Though I resented my participation in Wobegon and how he had manipulated me to do things for the sake of the game, I couldn't help but be more sympathetic towards him as I had time to reflect on who he was and what his role in Wobegon actually was. He wasn't a game runner, he was a pawn. The things that happened to me were not his fault, at least in the broad strokes, though he may have facilitated many of them. He hardly knew what he was doing. The file about him and his family that the Flinchites gave me to reference for my phone call elicited some sympathy as well. He was a black sheep youngest brother who was struggling to thrive on his own as an artist, and came from a family that couldn't even find itself the ability to be fully supportive even after he had died. The situation was bleak. It was no surprise that he had found himself in a dark place, talking to shady people like Ryan. Not to brag, but I'm something of a murderer myself. It would be hypocritical of me to come down too harshly on him. So I suppose it's time to put my forgiving money where my mouth is, considering how I eulogized him when Ryan told me that he had died. It's only fair to feel the same way now that he is alive again. That is not to say that Cannonball was my choice for a first challenge prize. Actually, it's more complicated than that. Playing Wobegon this time, I know, of course, that the first challenge is actually a setup for the fourth challenge. Whoever is brought back by the first challenge is to be killed during the fourth challenge. That means that it is inadvisable, to say the least, to choose someone you are incredibly fond of. There is always the possibility that you will find an opportunity to counteract the fourth challenge. I was able to ensure Matt's continued existence. Personally, I'm being kept alive by… someone, somehow? Question mark? That only eats at me a little bit every day. I mean it doesn't feel like someone's coming to kill me any more than usual. There are more important things eating me. I think Mystery Hunter had the least traumatic scenario, bringing back his mother who was frail and dying. He got to see her again, but her days were numbered with or without Wobegon, so it was still a profound loss, but one that was going to happen. If it were too good to be true, then at least he only ended up back where he started. Everything still gets wrapped up with a nice little bow. At least with Cannonball, I was not profoundly concerned with the idea of having to kill him to complete the fourth challenge. I could provide another eulogy if need be. The idea to choose Cannonball was the result of several interviews that I did with the Flinchites inside of the Flinchite compound. I say interview because they don't like the word interrogation. The reality is somewhere in between the two ideas. Ty was my handler, so he was in charge of getting everything that I know out of me. After he broke the bad news to me that I would be playing Wolbagon again, I was incentivized to use my expert judgment to recommend a course of action to ensure that the operation went smoothly. I was to infiltrate Wolbegon and get the information by pretending to play the game as a new player. Everything would have to be coordinated to maximize the amount of information that I could obtain. That meant choosing a first prize that would have some utility to the operation, someone who could help us uncover the inner machinations of the Wobegon machine. After deliberating with Ty, Cannonball, real name Topher Evans, was the ideal candidate for a first prize. He was, most importantly, dead, a necessary prerequisite for the position. He was also someone who was, quote, high up in the original structure of Wobegon, Wobegon presumably being an operation of two people while he was working for Ryan, so about as high up as you can go without being the ringleader. Ryan did not seem to be an option for this task for whatever reason, though I took it to mean that he is still alive. Cannonball was alive during the time period that Ryan lost the game and someone else took over, which was an important area of study that the Flinchites were looking for more information about, and he was, again, a lot of presumptions here, likely killed by the faction that took over Wobegon after Ryan. At least that's what Ryan led me to believe when we met in person. It was decided. I was the expert. I was the only one with enough experience to make this whole operation come together. It was my professional opinion that Cannonball should be the prize. And it was the Flintite's opinion that I should be the one to show up to his apartment unannounced looking for those important clues that he might have. This is Wobegon. I didn't want to go to Cannonball's apartment. I had been there before and that was not a fond memory of mine. I had yet to be humbled by the enormity of what I didn't understand back then. I thought that Cannonball was the game runner and I thought that all I had to do was whack him over the head and I would have some answers. That concept is so distant from my current self that it doesn't even feel like me when I try to remember it. I was so naive. There wasn't even a bear back then. It's not as though I had the choice to not go back though. The Flinchites were not going to let me leave without using me for all that I was worth. I had already started the game, these were my next instructions. It did beat the alternative instructions, though, which were to proceed immediately with the second challenge. I didn't allow myself to think about the second challenge. I had already received the instructions for the second challenge from Wobegon. It was waiting for me whenever I was ready. I did not feel that I was ever going to be ready. The point of this reconnaissance mission was to get information about Ryan, how he operated Wobegon and where he operated it from, how he lost control of it, and what Cannonball knew about the new game runners, and anything that happened after that. A secondary objective was to prod Cannonball into talking about aspects of the situation that we did not know that we did not know, since that was a large and elusive category for us. The Flinchites were doing their own reconnaissance in addition to this, that I was not allowed to know the particulars of, but a first-hand account from Cannonball had the potential to help them out immensely. That is how I ended up on Cannonball's familiar doorstep. I was, of course, placed on said doorstep through abrupt, disorienting, and uncomfortable time travel in true Flinchite fashion. I waited for my stomach to settle, took a deep breath, and knocked on the door. Nothing. For a moment, I thought I had the wrong address. It had been a few months since the last time that I was here, I think. It was possible that Cannonball had moved. I could be knocking on a stranger's door. I was relying entirely on the Flinchites' information, and they seemed to believe that he still lived in the same place. I briefly wondered about what would happen if we couldn't find the guy that I had brought back to life. The Flintites wouldn't be happy with me, that was certain. It would certainly put a wrench in future challenges. They could try to track him down. If I were him, I would consider being anywhere besides the apartment where Wobegon was orchestrated, especially after Ryan lost control of the game. It was inviting trouble from anyone that knew that he was there. Me for instance. That's probably how he ended up dead in the first place. A minute or two went by. I tried knocking again to no avail. I was still standing outside of Cannonball's apartment, wondering if this whole operation was about to go south. Cannonball was my idea. It was the idea that we all agreed on after I laid out everything that had happened and given my expert opinion. It may have been more trouble than it was worth. We could have picked some nobody, and we wouldn't have gotten any useful information, but we wouldn't be wasting our time either. Whatever it means to waste time in this scenario. Anxiously, I tried in vain to look through the peephole in his door. As expected, all I could see was obliquely reflected light. It was while I was pressed up to the door, failing to see inside of Cannonball's apartment, that I felt something press firmly into my back. "'Don't turn around,' a voice said. I attempted to remain calm. "'Topher,' I greeted him. "'It's been too long.' "'It really hasn't,' he said. "'So I don't know what it feels like to have a gun pressed up against my back,' I said. "'Is it something like this? "'Sorry, I don't have much feeling in my back these days, so you're actually lucky that I noticed.' "'Something exactly like this,' he said. "'Stay still while I get the door open, eyes forward.' He unlocked the door, presumably with his hand that also wasn't holding the gun, and led me inside. Sit. He pointed his finger past me so that I could see it from behind me, toward a wooden chair in the center of the room. Hands behind your back, behind the chair. I did as I was told. As I turned around to sit in the chair, I could see that Cannonball was, in fact, pointing a gun at me. Up until that point, he could have been bluffing. Cannonball picked up some rope and bound my hands behind the back of the chair. Put your legs against the legs of the chair. If you kick me, I will become much less friendly, he instructed me. I complied. I wasn't trying to get myself killed by Cannonball. Not after all that I've been through. What a pathetic way to go, after all that had happened to me? After all the people infinitely more powerful than Cannonball had their shot at me? Once the tying was done, he stood up and faced me. "'Looks like you were expecting me,' I said. "'Not at all,' Cannonball replied. I was sitting here in my living room, minding my own business, watching TV, when I heard the knock on the door. When I saw who it was, I grabbed my gun, found some rope to tie you up with, and went down the fire escape and back into the building. I'm playing it by ear. "'Oh, well, kudos, I guess,' I said.' light on your feet. Are you gonna, um, you know, shove a sock in my mouth? What? No, we're going to talk, he replied. Oh, good, I said. That's why I'm here, too. Since we both want the same thing, you could untie me. Not a chance, he said. Worth a shot, I replied. Where's Ryan? What did you do with him? Cannonball asked. Me? I shot back. Why would I know anything? He went to meet with you at that Area 51 place and no one ever saw him again, he said. "'He told you that he was coming to meet with me?' I asked. "'Everything was different now. "'Cannonball had been dead when Ryan had initially met with me at Over. "'It was the last thing he ever told me. "'He had a plan to get the game back. "'You were at that government facility, the one that blew up. "'He was going to use you to get Wobegon back, and then you killed him. "'I could hear him gritting his teeth.' "'I absolutely did not. "'Not because I feel any fondness for him, but why would I? "'He didn't have any power. "'He wasn't in control of Wobegon. "'He didn't have anything that I could gain from killing him. "'And why would you care?' "'That guy didn't care whether you lived or died at all,' I said. "'He made fun of me for keeping you alive last time I was in this apartment.' "'I care,' he said, "'because if there was going to be time travel, "'then I would like to be one of the people who was closest to it. "'Ryan was the key to all of that. "'He knew how it worked, and I didn't. "'All I had to do was run his shitty little game for him. "'I did all the easy stuff, played stupid, and kept my head down. "'And as a reward, I was on the cusp of getting everything that I ever wanted.' And I let him out of my sight for a second and his fucking scruff date kills him out in the middle of nowhere. He told me that if he didn't come back, to take that as proof that Mike Walters killed him. I didn't kill him! I had no reason to kill him. I don't sound very convincing, but I didn't. Yes, he met me out there. In fact, quite the opposite of killing him, I gave him everything that he wanted. And he tried to kill me anyway for my trouble. Something doesn't add up. I heard from him again after that. I gave him the game back. Did you see him after that, in the flesh? Cannonball asked. No... But it was his phone. I worked with him twice, actually. He helped me with some codes right after he visited me. And then after that, he led me through the steps to get the game back to him, I said. So you don't know that it was him, he said. Even if you weren't lying, which I think you are. He hasn't responded since the attack on Old Brush Valley. We can't find anything on him after that point, I said. We? Cannonball asked. I'm working with some people. We're trying to get to the bottom of what's going on. "'They're way more advanced than Ryan ever was. "'They're disguising me. "'I'm playing the game under an alias. "'I'm... "'I stopped short. "'I almost told him that I had saved his life. "'I couldn't tell whether or not telling Cannonball "'that he was a woebegone prize was a wise idea right now. "'I didn't know how he might react.' "'I held my tongue. "'I'm here on a mission from them. "'We want to know what happened to Ryan, too,' I continued. "'We want to know how he lost the game in the first place. "'What happened?' "'You know, I thought it was you that took over the game,' he said.' You got lucky and seized the opportunity, broke into his house and wreck shop, and then you drew him out once he found out where you were, and that's when you made your move. Now that I see you in person again, I remember how pathetic you are. A coward. You killed Ryan like a coward, but you didn't take the game from him. I mean, you wouldn't be in this mess if you had. Whoever it was broke into Ryan's house? I thought he said he had a failsafe, I said, trying to steer the conversation. He ignored me. But why would you come here after you killed Ryan? He wasn't asking me, he was thinking aloud. The only thing that I can think of is that you're here to kill me too, is that it? Because I'm the only one left that knows what you did? No, I assured him, assuringly. He looked more volatile than he did when the conversation began, and this conversation began with him pointing a gun at my back. I was afraid of what he was convincing himself of. I didn't kill Ryan. I'm trying to figure out what happened to him. He was not listening to me. And why should I believe you and not just beat you to death with an iron rod, huh? The evidence is not in your favor, he said, half-shouting. ''Because I'm not lying. Cannonball. Topher. Wait, an iron rod. You have a gun in your hand. Why not use that?'' I asked. ''Because my walls are paper-thin and I don't want the cops coming,'' he explained. ''Plus, that's what you did last time you were here.'' ''Oh, that makes sense,'' I said. ''I didn't come to kill you. Do I look prepared to kill you?'' He looked me up and down and thought for a moment. ''Then why the fuck are you here?'' ''I saw an opportunity to keep myself from getting killed.'' to alleviate his suspicions that I had killed Ryan, and it was a long shot, but it was the only weapon I had in my arsenal. "'Because you're my first challenge prize,' I replied. I brought you back when I started the new game of Wolbagon. Ryan told me that you were dead when he came and visited me. He showed me a picture of your corpse. He didn't seem to be too broken up about it. I brought you back because we thought that we could use you for information, which seems to be something of a bust.' I let him process this for a moment before I continued. "'You are alive because of me. You're welcome, asshole. I had to pretend to be your stupid brother, Donnie, and leave you a fake voicemail to complete the challenge. I'm back in the game. Now are you going to tell me what I want to hear or not?' "'Donnie, I... was dead?' he asked, still processing. "'The file said it was carbon monoxide poisoning,' I said. "'The timing feels like it wasn't a coincidence. Whoever took the game from Ryan wanted you permanently out of the picture.' We need to know what happened. Can you remember anything at all about what it was like after Ryan lost control? Cannonball was no longer listening to me. You're playing Wobegon, he said. There was a flatness to his voice. I'm alive because you're playing Wobegon. This idea seemed to make sense to him. It explained why Ryan was missing and he wasn't. The people I work for, I don't know what they're hoping to achieve exactly, but I do know that they want to get to the bottom of this. They want to find the new game runners and take whatever they have for themselves, I said. Cannonball had stopped listening to me. He stared into the middle distance for a second. Then, without saying a word, he briskly walked over to the chair and started dragging me into a back bedroom. He did not need to tell me why he was suddenly taking a different course of action. He did not need to say out loud that if I was the one that brought him back to life, then I was the one who was going to eventually try to kill him. We both understood this. He took me into a bedroom in the back of the apartment, rummaged through a drawer, and found a sock inside of it, and jammed said sock into my mouth to prevent me from speaking further. Having a sock in your mouth is a genuinely uncomfortable experience, I do not recommend it for anybody for any occasion. Telling Cannonball about the first challenge was not a slip of the tongue, as spur of the moment as it may have been. I told Cannonball that he was the prize because I knew how he would react. I wasn't getting useful information from him the way that things were going. This way I knew that he wouldn't kill me. Cannonball knew how the game worked. He knew what would happen to him if I died. If there was even a chance that I wasn't bluffing, then he would be making a fatal mistake if he killed me. There was a good chance that I wasn't bluffing because it explained why I was on his doorstep better than any other hypothetical, and I knew his brother's name. I suspected that he would hold me captive, and I was right. Being held captive meant that I had just bought more time with Cannonball inside of his apartment. More time meant more time to think. It meant more opportunities to get information from him. More things that I could use to make myself valuable, to earn my freedom. On the flip side, it meant more time away from the Flinchites, more time to formulate an escape plan, first out of Cannonball's apartment, and then so that the Flinchites could no longer find me. It meant more time between then and when I would be expected to cut my arm off. It meant more time that I could spend figuring out how to avoid doing that at all. You're a huge fucking idiot for coming out here and telling me that, he said. Fuck. I don't know what I'm going to do, but you're going to stay right here while I figure it out. I said. He wasn't convinced. He walked out of the bedroom, slamming the door behind him. I was left alone, tied to a chair. It wasn't much of a plan, but it was a plan. Cannonball got the drop on me, and the whole situation was threatening to go belly up. I wasn't getting what I wanted, I wasn't getting what the Flintites wanted me to get, and maybe most top of mind when I decided to take this route, I didn't want to cut my arm off. My survival instincts surprised me. I didn't realize what lengths I was willing to go to in order to stop myself from cutting my own arm off again until I saw a glimmer of a chance. But hey, it was worth a shot, right? How long could I stay held hostage inside of Cannonball's apartment, until either I find a way to escape and make a run for freedom, Cannonball gets bored or afraid of retaliation and lets me go, or the Flinchites intervene and begrudgingly bail me out of the situation? Four months. Whoops! Cannonball was surprisingly attentive to my situation during that time. He fed me well and made me stretch and walk around every day, albeit at gunpoint. I got regular bathroom breaks. I spent almost all my time in that wooden chair, though including sleeping even though there was a bed right in front of me the whole time. I existed in limbo. Cannonball was in a pickle. If he let me go, he knew that I would be back to kill him later, but what else could he do? There was some kind of timer on the Wobegon challenges. How long until I failed out of the game? He tried not to talk to me, to no avail. I learned some things, piecemeal, as the days went on. It's impossible not to talk at all to someone who was around for all of that time. I learned a couple things, piecing together what Cannonball would imply by the way that he said them. I learned that someone tore Ryan's whole house apart, at which point he lost control of the game. He emailed Flinch about it, but Flinch went silent, which is what I would expect from Flinch. I don't think he really cares about exactly who is doing what. Once he said something that indicated to me that he had discovered that he was being watched for some time by guys in a van on his street that clearly didn't live in his building. They don't watch him anymore. I think that they were sent on behalf of the new game runners. I think that those were the people that killed him. Maybe they eventually decided to pose as maintenance workers and poison him in his sleep. This meant that there was yet another organized group involved in this whole fiasco. I don't think that it was the Flinchites. The Flinchites were not above this, obviously. Their boots operation is why my hand doesn't work like it should. They are definitely capable of the cruelty necessary to kill Cannonball, but they would have told me. It would have been in his file. It would not be a shameful secret that they were hiding from me. My hope was that the Flinchites could use this information, that somebody was watching Cannonball from the street with dates that align roughly with his former death date to track them down. Maybe that would make all of this worth it. Four months is a long time to never slip up, especially when you have to deal with someone all day every day for that amount of time. People are not that disciplined, not that regimented. Not just cannonball, but also people who pretend to be that way. Eventually you're going to get careless, you're going to run low on the energy that it takes to keep up appearances, you're going to make a phone call in your boxers at 7 in the morning with a spare bedroom door open because you forgot to close it that night after you gave your hostages' bathroom break. It is going to slip your mind that your hostage has been sleeping upright in a chair and so he wakes up pretty frequently during the night. And then you might, for instance, say in your phone call that you were interested in purchasing the circular saw that the person on the other line had put up on Craigslist and you have some questions about safety. Could it, for instance, cut through your arm if there were an accident? Was there any sort of safety mechanism stopping it? Oh, no? Alright, but I better get a discount then. Who calls a stranger about a Craigslist ad at 7 in the morning? Truly a warped mind. Cannonball wasn't going to wait any longer. He could feel time running out. It had been four months. How much longer until I lost the game and he popped out of existence again? He used to have a hand in such things. He would know better than most what kind of timeline we were looking at here. He was planning to force me to attempt the second challenge at gunpoint in his home. I was close to having a meltdown thinking about it, but I still had to pretend to be asleep. The bedroom door was open. If he noticed, then I didn't know what would happen. Keeping my eyes closed and my breathing even while I waited for him to get dressed and leave to get the circular saw was more torturous than the months that I had spent tied up. He worked from home and almost never left. This was my opportunity. Eventually he did leave, still not noticing the open bedroom door. I quickly began making my desperate moves. I pulled my shoulder violently to the side. The muscle hurt, but it wasn't enough to get my arm around the back of the chair. I did it again, this time even more violently, my adrenaline pushing me to ignore the pain. This time my shoulder popped and both of my arms were on the same side of the chair, allowing me to free them from behind the chair, but still behind my back. I let out a cry of pain muffled by the sock that was in my mouth. I could finally stand up, but my hands were still bound and my legs were still tied to the chair. I waddled awkwardly out of the bedroom and into the rest of the house, only made possible by the open bedroom door. I don't think I would have been able to get the door open. I looked around for something to free my legs. I was still too immobilized to make a break for it. I wouldn't even be able to open the front door. My hands were useless behind my back. I couldn't even bend down and untie my legs. I couldn't find anything sharp to rub against the rope. I tried jumping backward, putting my weight into the chair in order to smash it. This didn't work. Because my legs were tied, I wasn't able to jump at all, it was more like falling backwards. I only injured myself further. I landed hard on my neck and part of my face. I could feel what would eventually become a black eye begin to form. With much effort, I stood back up, continuing with my slow wandering. I waddled into the kitchen. After all the effort that it took to get the silverware drawer open, the only knife inside was a butter knife. The rope was thick, I didn't have time for that. Who doesn't own a single kitchen knife? How do you cook? Through some strenuous gymnastics, I was able to get the dishwasher open. Among other things, there was a larger knife inside. It looked serrated, sharp enough to cut through the rope, and it was on the bottom row inside one of the spots for utensils. The door to the dishwasher made it impossible to get close enough to grab it. Using all of my strength, I launched the chair onto the door of the dishwasher. I could hear it bend and break under me. I reached around blindly for the knife, stretching as far as I could. I was unable to grab the knife in my flailing. I rummaged around for several minutes, trying to grab the knife. This is the situation that I found myself in when Cannonball came back through the door, circular saw in hand. The saw was not new in box. It was well-loved, speckled here and there with signs of wear. God damn it! I leave you alone for one second and you made a mess, he said. Oh well. Easy come, easy go. We're doing something special today. I think you've already figured that out, though. I hope that you're prepared. We're buying ourselves some more time. (laughs) I said. let out a cry of pain muffled by the sock that was in my mouth so sort of like this (laughs) that's gross